well, I have to comment. Just so you know, this is not who I am, typically. I'm not the superstitious, like, wear the same socks every time I preach kind of guy, but desperate times call for desperate measures. <laughs> it worked twice, so. <laughs> and, and I don't think I'm the only one right now am I, that thinks things are a bit desperate for our beloved chiefs um, this season, especially where we've been in the past few years. This feels a little rough. It's the kind of desperate that even good things, like two wins in a row, don't always feel so <laughs> good. <laughs> It's a kind of desperate where things seem so bad. Sometimes you wonder if they'll ever get good again. It's the kind of desperate that will drive a perfectly sane man to wear the same zip-up jacket three games in a row. Things seem desperate, and I'm just praying for a happy ending, but I don't always see one. And while this might be unfamiliar territory for us as Chiefs fans recently, if you are one, I dare say it isn't unfamiliar territory for society as a whole to feel like we're in a desperate place. I mean, who here hasn't felt that things have been a bit desperate at times over the past couple years? Who here has had a moment where they couldn't maybe see a happy ending anywhere in the near future. Most of us have been in that place, I imagine. The chief season is just one part sometimes of larger seasons of hopelessness. That did not sound encouraging at all. I think that's why, by the way, they don't use my, my sermon sound bites on Caleb. That guy is not positive or encouraging. <laughs> but there is some comfort, I think, in knowing that we don't struggle alone. Like, we're, we're struggling right now all, right alongside all the other Mahomies. And especially when we're talking about a global pandemic, we're not in this by ourselves either. We are right alongside the whole world. And then there's the fact that we're in a church, by the way. So this Bible, this book right here, this is a whole book full of struggles. Did you realize that? It's a whole book full of struggles to remind us that we are not the first to suffer we're not the last. We're not the first to be out in a boat in a storm. And we're not the last. But God is with us through it all. God literally suffered with us, suffered and died for us. And that, I think, should at least be a little bit encouraging. Amen? Amen. In fact, today we're going to look at a bit of Scripture today that is full of suffering. But I don't sell sermons very well. It's full, but it's also full of the promise of God's goodness, of God's power, and of God's ultimate victory through Jesus. So we're in the middle of this three-week sermon series where we are turning our eyes to Jesus. Last week, we saw how the book of Hebrews points us to Christ as our high priest, the, the eternal once-for-all sacrifice that lifts us out of our sin and into the very presence of God. And this week we're going to turn our eyes to the final chapter of the book of Daniel, the prophet, and we're going to learn about Christ's victory over death. Now Daniel, it's a pretty famous Old Testament book, right? Like usually when we think of Daniel, what do we think of? Lions, that's right, the lion's den, and, and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
You remember them who lead uh, me right out. That's the fourth man in the fire. You remember that story? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which whenever I hear that, all I can think of is the Beastie Boys. But um, that's one of those things about being a child of the 80s. (laughs) And if you really know Daniel, then you might even start thinking about becoming a vegetarian. (laughs) There they are. (laughs) But today, we're going to hear the culmination of five chapters of apocalyptic prophecies that end the book of Daniel. And the very first mention of the resurrection of the body that is in our Bible. Did you know that? That Daniel is the first person in Scripture to talk about the fact that one day our bodies, ourselves, we will see the resurrection and we will live once again the life eternal. It's in Daniel chapter 12 verses 1 through 3. And I'm going to read it to you right now. At that time, Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people, shall arise. There shall be a time of anguish such as never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. But those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, may we shine one day. Shine with the brightness of your Son. May we feel redemption and resurrection. May we know the life eternal promised to us. But here, when sometimes our days feel a little bit unshiny, dull, may we hear from you. May we hear a word. You know our hearts, Lord. Speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. So, Daniel is, is, it's a pretty wild book. Like, most people believe it was the last book of the Old Testament to be written. And there's some disagreement, actually, as to when Daniel was written. Because, you see, Daniel breaks down into, like, two pretty distinct halves. And the first half contains the stories we're familiar with. The stories of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and their struggles and triumphs during the Babylonian exile If you remember, Jerusalem had been ransacked, God's holy temple burned to the ground, and young noble Judeans like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were carried off into exile and entered almost into like a re-education program to turn um, the best and brightest young believers in the one true God into the best and brightest young believers of the God King of Babylon. The book of Daniel actually gives us pretty exact dates for these events from the reign of Nebuchadnezzar in around 605 BC to Cyrus the Persian in 536 BC. So really the 6th century BC is when Daniel and his friends are living under this persecution and trying and struggling to to maintain their faith. What we know about that time period though is that things were pretty hopeless. 
for God's chosen people, they had to have been wondering, like, what exactly? If we're chosen, what are we chosen for? And I don't know if I want to be chosen. After witnessing their homes destroyed, friends and loved ones killed, the home of God on earth destroyed, things had to feel pretty desperate. I don't imagine anyone could see a happy ending coming anytime soon. And so the first six chapters of Daniel give us stories of suffering and resilience of these four young Judean nobles. But then the book of Daniel goes off the rails. <laughs> and the concluding six chapters of Daniel consist of Daniel's apocalyptic visions of the end times. Like the second half of Daniel is a precursor to the New Testament book of Revelation. It's a huge shift from Daniel and his very tangible and hungry lions. But let me tell you, those lions were pussycats compared to what Daniel tells us will happen in those final days. And here's the wild thing. Many of those visions came to pass. After Alexander the Great conquered East Asia and his empire was split amongst four generals that succeeded him, the visions of Daniel, the same Daniel who was in a lion's den in the 6th century B.C., was talking about explicit references to things that were happening in the 2nd century B.C. And then it shifts again at the end of days. And if that's not wild enough, the book of, of Daniel is written in two different languages in Hebrew and Aramaic. Are you with me? I don't know if I'm with me. <laughs> but I, was, I found a book. Sometimes books are helpful. Anybody ever read a book? It's amazing what you can do. Well, I've read a book called How to Read Daniel. <laughs> That's a good one to start when you're trying to read Daniel. It's actually a really good book. And Tremper Longman, he's a, he's a sort of well-known biblical scholar, and he does a wonderful job. He knows his stuff and he gives us a lot of stuff to help us through this kind of crazy book. And one of the most helpful things I found that he brought to the table is his summary of a theme in Daniel that pulls together two genres, two languages, and two time periods, and pulls all of this together in the book of Daniel. Again and again, Longman says, Daniel points us to an eternal truth that in spite of present difficulties, God is in control, and he will have the final victory. Yeah, amen. Can you say that with me? In, well, amen that too, but I meant this thing. <laughs> in spite of present difficulties, God is in control, and he will have the final victory. Amen. Hey, there we go. But I mean, think about it. Right from the beginning of Daniel, we're thrust into the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile. That's the epitome of present difficulty, if you ask me. That's the epitome of feeling like everything is out of control, especially if the temple that was just destroyed represents the earthly home of your eternal God, and you would think that if God were in control, he wouldn't let his house burn down. And then by chapter 3, it's like out of the frying pan into the fire, literally. We know this story, right? Nebuchadnezzar forces Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bow down before a giant chocolate bunny. Wait, no. <laughs> That's the vegetables again. 
Nebuchadnezzar forces these three young Hebrews to bow down before a giant idol of gold. And if they don't, they'll be thrown into a fiery furnace. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hold true to their faith in God. A God who commanded them to have, you remember this? Have no other gods before me and worship no idols. And so they hold to that truth, that commandment. And are Rakshak and Benny killed in the furnace? No. Do they even come out with a single, like, singed side whisker? No. And are they the only ones in the furnace? No. There's a fourth man in the fire. A lot of us Christians, we like to think that that was Jesus hanging out with Rakshak and Benny. We don't, we don't know for sure from Daniel, but we do know that this figure comes from God. Because even as the world burns around them, even as others are failing from the heat of their misfortune, even when things are as desperate and as hopeless as things can get, God is still with them, and God is in control. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walk out of the furnace, God is victorious. So say it with me again. In spite of present difficulties, God is in control, and he will have the final victory. Amen. <laughs> and after that victory, life does get easier for these four exiled Judeans for a little while until the Babylonian Empire falls to the Persians and King Darius takes over. And the king likes Daniel, but his administrators don't. So they talk Darius into making a decree that all people, anyone who is found worshiping or praying to an, another god or any other human other than Darius will be thrown into what? Well, lions then this time. This time it's lions. But does Daniel give in to fear? No. Does Daniel stop praying to his god, the living god? No. Does Daniel worship Darius instead of Yahweh? No. And what happens? He's thrown into the lion's den. Right, he's thrown into the lion's den and promptly eating by a very lovely family of four. There's Mama Lion, Papa Lion, Jimmy Lion, and little Susie Lion, and they have a great big dinner together. No? No. Things might have seemed way out of control, locked in that den, surrounded by hungry lions. Things might have seemed dismal, desperate, hopeless even. But God sent an angel because God was still in what? Control. And ultimately, God was victorious and Daniel lived because, say it with me again, in spite of present difficulties, God is in control, and he will have the final victory. Amen. <laughs> Which brings us through chapters 7 through 11 and into chapter 12, and another angel. At that time, Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people, shall arise. There shall be a time of anguish such as never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. At that time, Michael. By the way, Michael, who, who, does anybody have a favorite angel? 
You know who mine is? It's Gabriel, because we both played trumpet. But Michael is a close second. Um, at that time, at that time, what time? Well, in the first three of his four apocalyptic visions, Daniel has, there's four in this book, and the first three, Daniel walks us through the fall of Babylon to the Persians and the Medes, the rise of Alexander the Great, and the dividing of the kingdom amongst his four generals. Very real things that were happening in those years between Daniel's time in the lion's den and the second century BC. So that apocalyptic vision corresponds to real events, and Daniel hints and, and speaks to them, and eventually to the second century rule of this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes III. He was literally a, a, a mad ruler, like uh, he, he had lost his mind, and he was furious over the Jews, tormented them, tortured them, so much so that the Jewish people rose up against Antiochus Epiphanes. That's the story of the Maccabees. That's the story of Hanukkah that Jews celebrate every year. It was a turbulent time, and Daniel is writing and, and predicting or living in, depending on who you talk to, these times. Ever since Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians, God's chosen people have been holding out against hope, struggling, facing oppression, unpredictability under one foreign ruler after another. Even the uprising of the Maccabees was short-lived as Rome soon came in and took over. Life was hard for God's chosen people. You never knew who was going to be in charge. You never knew what was going to happen. It was unpredictable. It was desperate. They faced centuries of chaos, desperation, and hopelessness. And that's when Daniel, who walks us through all these very real events, he takes us out of the real historical time of Antiochus Epiphanes and into the vast span of eternity that is God's reign over all of creation. And that's when things get really difficult, <laughs> right? That's when things get difficult. And they do for us. Sometimes it seems like God is not even in control, much less you or me. You ever feel out of control? You ever feel that our earthly kings and queens are a little bit out of control? But Michael tells Daniel, Daniel at a time when the great prince, the protector of God's people, will arise in that time. If you thought things were desperate now, just wait until those future days when it feels like the end of days. But even then, even on the worst of the worst days, who's in control? And who will be victorious through his great prince? And what's that prince's name? Jesus. Jesus. We know this. And he isn't just victorious over earthly rulers. Jesus' victory is over death itself. Many of those, we read, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. To dust we shall return, the sleep of death. But even that sleep of death is no match for Christ who will defeat death. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? No, Christ, we're told, again and again, will have the final victory, as desperate as things might seem here, as uncontrollable as our life might feel at times, as hopeless as things might be. 
Christ is the ultimate victor. This is it, the culmination of Daniel's life and his visions, the first time in Scripture that we're told in no uncertain terms that death is not the end, that death does not win, but that we will awaken to eternal life through the victory of Jesus Christ, the great prince, the protector of his people. And when we put our hope and our trust in him, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. When we put our hope and our trust in the victorious Christ, we will shine like the stars for how long? Forever and ever. Say it with me. In spite of present difficulties, God is in control, and he will have the final victory. Amen. <laughs> you see, things may feel difficult right now. For as much as I'd like to think that Andy Reid is in control and Mahomes will have the final victory, <laughs> for many of us, the chief struggles are the least of our worries. Life is hard. I think it's been particularly hard these last few years. We've lost family members and friends. We are losing family members and friends. We've been sick and we've recovered. Some of us are still struggling to recover. Jobs have left. Workers have left. School is, is weird. I mean, that's nothing new, but it's even weirder. <laughs> our streets have been on fire, literally turning our neighborhoods into furnaces. And some days it seems like the lions are prowling the streets of our communities, waiting to devour us. But even though Daniel was speaking about Babylon, and even though Daniel was speaking about Persia and Antiochus Epiphanes, and even though Daniel was speaking about the ancient Jewish experience, Daniel was also speaking about us. Daniel had visions of us, of you, and of me. Michael turned Daniel's eyes toward visions of Jesus Christ and the final victory, that despite our hardships and our struggles, our desperate and our hopeless days, Christ will win. Death will lose its sting, and we will shine like the stars in heaven. Because you see, one last time, say it with me, in spite of present difficulties, God is in control. And he will have the final victory. Amen. 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 So this is Daniel chapter 12. The culmination of those stories that we know. And some of those visions that we didn't know. <laughs> they don't read those in, in Sunday school. In chapter 9 of Daniel, though, um, in the midst of these visions of difficult days and struggles, Daniel offers up a prayer 
to God. It's, it's a prayer of confession. And so I thought, as we come to confess together, that Daniel's words might be our words today. So would you pray Daniel's prayer with me? Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Here's the good news. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven.